And so what I'd like to do is uh, October 1, get started in chapter 14. That's, that's the plan. So buckle up and let's let's get started on these notes and, and we'll finish this little section of John 13, Lord willing. Uh, uh, John 13, 36 to 38. Um, and before we do, let's have one more word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, again, we come to you because we are needy people. We know that uh, apart from you, we can do nothing. As you tell your disciples in chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, that vine and, and branch illustration, um, it's such a, a, a vital piece of this discourse. It's right at the heart of it. And uh, such a good reminder to them and to us that <clears throat> and not only is it okay for us to draw down, and sometimes maybe we might be tempted to think that we're in imposition when we come and we pray or we gather in your name and, and, and it feels like we're just taking from you all the time. But but really, you invite us to do that and you command us to do it because the alternative is far worse. The alternative, if we're believers, um, we won't be destroyed eternally, but we'll be cut off uh, from uh, from the fellowship of your body and, and you and encouragement of one another. And especially as we walk through dark times, it, it would be far worse for us uh, than if we stay in that place of abiding. So we come and we pray frequently as our little church. We're constantly, uh, maybe it's a good thing that we're small in some respects because we're kind of reminded that we don't have uh, tons of resources maybe at our disposal that we could, could be, do, uh, deluded into trusting, um, but instead we recognize that it is you by your Holy Spirit through the word that brings fruit and growth that lasts for eternity. We give glory. We ask that you would do that again this morning um, in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so last time we looked at um, what does Jesus mean by follow me, right? And the connection, in case it wasn't clear last time, the connection with that little study there, which on the front page of your notes, you know, I put down <clears throat> all the places in the four Gospels where I found that command, follow me. And one place where it's um, uh, sort of, I don't want to say implied because it's direct, but instead of follow me, they follow him, referring to the Good Shepherd, right, in chapter 10. Um, and the point of all of that is in the connection to our text, is that in verse uh, 36, I believe it is, and I'm just operating on memory. Um, yes, in verse 36, Jesus, in response to Peter, Peter, you know, says, Lord, where are you going? We'll look at that here in a minute uh, in more detail. But uh, he says, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, right? Which is an interesting qualifier to what he had said to all the disciples earlier where I'm going, as I told the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. Right? I'm leaving, I'm going away, you cannot come. And Peter and the rest of them are dead. That's verse 33. And I call that the gut punch because it really was a gut punch to them. And 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 Peter and the rest of them, Peter's just speaking with the rest of them, thinking, you know, why can't we go? Where, where are you going? And and so the point is that little word now is so is so important. Got me really thinking about. Well, where is Jesus about to go that the rest of them can't go? To the cross, right? And I got to thinking, well, wait a minute. Peter did go to, he, I mean, in his case, he actually went to a cross later, right? And we saw that in John 21. 
Jesus predicts the kind of death uh, that uh, uh, that Peter's going to glorify God. And we know from church tradition that he went to a cross. Um, his wife went as well, apparently, too. Uh, and, and he got to watch her be crucified. Think about that. Uh, but anyway, I got to thinking, you know what? That really is the way that's not just for Peter and another, you know, what, 10, the Judas isn't going to walk that way, but, you know, it's, you know, it's not the, the 12 disciples, not just for them. It's not just for super saints. Mm -hmm. It's not just for, you know, uh, the leaders of G3 conference or, you know, wherever your favorite uh, pastor, speaker on the radio or podcast is, whatever. It's not just for them. It's for every follower of Christ, right? And so we went through that all of those occurrences of that command, follow me, and it's tied very uh, clearly in any cases to take up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow me, right? And and so what we're looking at, again, this is just, we saw this in chapter 12, we looked at it in detail there, and we're seeing it again, is the way of the cross, right? That's the connection here to our text. And it's very important because it's going to continue, pardon the pun, to, it's, it's going to continue to hammer that point home uh, to his disciples and to us as we unfold these chapters. Um, the way of the cross, denial of self, living for God and living uh, and expressing your love for God and your love for each other and even your enemies. I think it's important to remember again that Jesus, when he says, take up your cross daily, follow me, um, you know, Paul helps us understand what that is in Romans uh, 12, 1 and 2 as well, you know, present your bodies living sacrifice, right? And your minds as well. Don't let, your, don't let the world continue to squeeze you into its mold, its pattern of thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? So your whole person, your inner person, your outer person is a living sacrifice and the problem with living sacrifice is it it's a, wants to get off the altar right and so there's this constant struggle uh and and i think dad mentioned last time very good you know you have on this habit start trying to get in this habit you know whatever whatever your morning routine is when you get out of bed your feet hit the floor you know sometimes if you're like me like this morning for some reason i was i had this dream about now, some, some animals, you know, and I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, and you get, you kind of get up and you start and you get in the shower and it's kind of like, you're, you know, finally rain starts to, okay, the fog is lifting. In those moments of lucidness, okay, this is a new day. Remember whose you are, right? Commit yourself to follow him today, right? Take up your cross today. You know, uh, yesterday is one thing, tomorrow's another thing. All I have right now is today. And, and take up that cross. Okay, so hopefully that's clear. Um, so let's let's go now on our notes back page. Um, Natalie, do you need notes or are you good? I'm all right. Okay, good to see you this morning. Um, timeline of Peter's prideful descent uh, toward his denials. If you haven't noticed by now, I like I like timelines. Uh, especially as we get into these final days of Jesus's earthly ministry. Remember now he's he's done with the public 
ministry. He's now focused on the private ministry, really pouring himself out into his disciples. This is really the final um, uh, last lecture, you might say, before he dies. Right Now, post-resurrection, we're going to see that when we get to chapter 20. Uh, post-resurrection, though it doesn't say explicitly in chapter 20, uh, I believe it's pretty clear. Um, I think it's safe to say that he when he gathered with his disciples on Sundays, incidentally, for the most part, as a group, uh, and not just, just his 12 disciples, but those who were still faithful and following him, some of the women and, and others as well, um, that he taught them from the scriptures about that. And we're actually going to see a place in here where I, where I think he's going to tell them that. Um, the time is coming when I'm going to speak to you directly, pointedly, no longer in kind of veiled language. Um, and, and, uh, and, and I think he's referring to after his resurrection, but point is, sorry about that tangent, but the point is, as we, as we get into these hours approaching the crucifixion, uh, there, I like to <clears throat> compare what John is saying with the other gospels. So we'll, we'll see more of that coming up as well. Okay. Uh, particularly the crucifixion, we'll look at the, we'll read, you know, John's combined account of all of that. We'll look at all seven sayings of the cross, not just the, I think it's three that John gives us, right? So, we'll, you, know, you know, the point is, timelines, right? And, and here's another one. We've looked at, um, we've looked at the timeline of the upper room, right? And, and compared that. Well, here's one that I thought was was interesting. I was just thinking about, okay, well, let's, let's look at all four Gospels and put them together in terms of what happened to bring Peter down this down the slippery slope of his pride to the place of denials, right? It's kind of an interesting study. So I want to take a look at that because our text here that we're looking at is, is John's version of Peter, of Jesus telling Peter that you're going to deny me, okay? So let's let's look at that. And then we'll apply it to our lives uh, as well. Timeline of Peter's prideful descent towards toward his denials. In the Gospel of John, Peter is the most prominent of the 12 disciples. As we move on in the second part of John, dealing with the private ministry of Jesus on behalf of his church, Peter's personal journey will also serve as a type of the other disciples. Okay. Uh, that's an important point. Keep that in mind, especially when we get to chapter 21. Now, chapter 21 is where, you know, the, the famous conversation that Jesus has with Peter after uh, he tells them to cast the net, remember? And if that sounds familiar, it is. It happened at the very beginning uh, of his ministry when he commissioned them as well. Very, very similar event. And uh, we'll talk about that when we get there. Well, after after Peter, John says it's the Lord, and Peter dives in and goes up to him. Most people, myself included, think that the three, you know, do you love me questions uh, are Jesus restoring Peter back from his three denials. I've heard that many times, probably too. Uh, I'm now convinced that maybe there's an aspect where I'm not saying that's not that's not true, but I don't think that's the main purpose of it. Um, and we'll explain that more when we get there. Uh, Jesus had already appeared personally to Peter one-on-one -on -one, the day of his resurrection. And that was when they, I believe that, that Jesus actually restored and forgave Peter. 
But the point is that in that conversation in 21, if you if you remember that there are there are six other disciples there to hear that, and you think of Peter not just as Peter, but as the representative of the whole group, it, it really opens up that passage in a different way. Where G Peter is not just commissioning Peter specifically to feed his sheep, but all of them, right, together. And so, just and the us. point I'm trying to make, what's that? And us as well. And us as well, exactly. And, and anybody who's in a shepherding role, <laughs> uh, who, who's actually a follower of Jesus, um, in, in some form or fashion, uh, is to be involved in that mission. <clears throat> so, point I'm trying to make here is that's another example of where Peter represents the group, okay? So Peter's personal journey will also serve as a type of the other disciples. He is also speaking, he is often speaking what's on everybody's, on everyone's mind, and nowhere do we see this more clearly than in his prideful bragging that he is the faithful disciple of Jesus. He often goes so far as to not believe the Lord's prediction of his denial. Um, yeah. He even goes so far as not believe that. Uh, Peter is very self-assured and confident that he will not desert the Lord, even if all the other disciples do. Here are the steps of Peter showcasing his prideful descent into denial. I wrote down some, some notes this morning, even as I was thinking about this. Um, something else occurred to me, and that is you could say that this um, illustration of Peter descending towards denial, despite all of his insistence that he would never do it, these other guys might do it, but I'll die for you, right? And he ends up in, in completely the opposite place where he said he was going to, uh, is an illustration of the opposite of the way of the cross, right? So if Jesus is calling Peter and the other disciples and indeed all of us to the way of the cross, one of, one of the best ways to define something is to look at its opposite as well, right? Uh, the antonym of, of something, right? So um, that is also helpful. And so I think this is helpful in us examining uh, the, the cross. Peter illustrates in his denial, the opposite of the way of the cross we cannot listen. This is good. We cannot walk in sacrifice to God on our own. Peter's intention was fantastic, right? I will die for you. What did he end up doing? Denying. How did he end up in such an opposite place? Okay. That's a good good lesson for us as well. Good one. All right, so here we go. Seven seven steps. Uh, again, taken from all the Gospels combined. It's the timeline, if you will. <clears throat> First, the disciples, especially Peter, argue over who is the greatest in the kingdom. Let's look at that passage in Luke uh, 22 that's listed there on your notes. Again, if anybody need notes, I've got three copies up here. Um, we're moving fast, and the best way to stay is to follow your notes. <laughs> Who is the greatest? Luke 22, 24 through 31 is our first section. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. 
Remember, we looked at this during our examination of the timeline of the upper room, right? And, and I believe that right after Jesus, this happened, that's when Jesus got up and washed their, their feet. Luke doesn't tell us that, but John does. Um, but anyway, that's my personal belief, kind of dogmatic about it, but that's what I think. Um, so it, this dispute argued about who is the greater, right? And he said to them, verse 25, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at table or one who serves? It is not the one who is it not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you. We didn't look at this, though, so continue reading. Uh, as assigned to you, as my father signed to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table and in uh, at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The point I want to just stop there for a second. You know, if we've been talking about how the disciples had such a struggle unraveling this triumphalistic Messiah that they had been raised to believe they, they they were raised to believe that when messiah came he was going to ascend the throne of david right and he was going to rule the nations with a rod of iron and all of those old testament prophecies you read about you know they will train for war no more because he'll take care of reverse the curse and a child will stick his hand in the coat all of that okay they were raised to believe that that's what would happen when messiah came they knew he was the messiah but he wasn't doing that right i think that was john about this struggle too as well um, but anyway what's interesting is notice how it starts right they're arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom they still think this is going to happen right we, we've looked at that from from john 11 the raising of Lazarus, and then john 12 john connects the excitement in jerusalem two months later when jesus rides in on the, on the donkey with the raising of lazarus and and the crowd is just stoked by by these profound and influential witnesses who saw that and this is the messiah and he's, he's you know and the disciples are Whoa, yes it's coming and they're and in their pride they're arguing among themselves but you know josh jostling for position right uh and and and, and the lord is saying it's not going to turn out the way you think but he gives them a little little taste of hope there is coming a time when you will sit on 12 thrones and you will judge the the, the 12 tribes of Israel uh, you you know you're not wrong it's just not now right not now again we would like to think that God's timing and ours is in track right no we have to submit to his timing which is by the way better than ours he has his reasons for doing what he is doing and when he's doing it. But look at the next verse, right? Because this is our this is the end of our <clears throat> point number one. Who's he turned to next? 31, verse 31. Simon, Simon. <clears throat> Whenever the Lord says your name twice, mm -hmm. <laughs> especially your old name and not your new one, what's he saying? Sure, turn. Relapsing back. Yeah, right. Always, yeah. He's really trying, he's trying to get your attention, right? He's trying saying twice. Sign, sign, look, look. Okay. 
Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. So that's why I put them back to your notes. <clears throat> Point number one there, back to your notes. Everybody with me? Mm -hmm. The disciples, especially Peter, argue over who's greatest the king. Um, that's why I believe Peter particularly was, they were all arguing and they were all jostling for position, but guess who was the loudest voice in the room? Okay. And so right on the heels of the Lord rebuking them for their pride, who does he turn to next? Peter, Simon, Simon, look at me, pay attention. Satan is about to exploit your gifting. He's about to take your mouth, which I'm going to use as the spokesperson for the church and turn it around and do some very bad things with it. Okay? All right. Second point on our on our notes there. Jesus' first, pay attention to that word, first prediction of Peter's denial while in the upper room. Look at the very next verse, verse 32. After he tells him that Satan has demanded to have you, sift you like wheat, look at verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Okay, turn from what? Satan. Yeah, Satan is successful. Temporary. Yeah. Okay. In God's plan, get this, in God's plan, he allowed Satan to exploit this chink in Peter's armor. Peter thinks that he's got this strength and this commitment to Christ and, and he's got his mouth and he's got his sword and he's going to come fighting, right? He thinks that in his moment of strength, he's, he's going to have this, uh, uh, he's going to prove his loyalty. But Satan is going to take that and twist it unbeknownst to Peter and exploit his his pride and end up in exactly the opposite. But God in his sovereignty says, you know what, Peter, I can take even that failure and turn it around for my glory so you can strengthen your brothers. Peter's denials in all four Gospels. Why? Because it's so important for every believer then and now to realize that God uses failed, flawed people like this. Okay? And how many times has Peter been an encouragement to you? That's me, right? Not just not because it's Peter and oh, he's Saint Peter. He's got some magic superpowers the rest of us don't have. No, no, no. He is, he is flawed and failed. And if God hadn't held on to him, if Jesus hadn't prayed for him, he'd be like Judas. Okay? But God holds on to him. And in that, we see a, a very profound living example of how even the very best uh, vocal uh, the, you know, those leaders that, you know, we're again going to the G3. There's a lot of guys I respect down there, you know, teachers of the word. But I know they have feet of clay like me. I know they're sinners like me who saved by grace. Sometimes we, we tend to put people on a pedestal, right? And the Lord knows this. And Satan can exploit that in your life as well. All right. So second point here is <clears throat> Jesus' first prediction is denial in the upper room. The other verses one in our text Verse 38, we'll look at that when we get there. Third point here, third step down, you might say, is Jesus' prediction 
that all the disciples will fall away. Um, fall away while on the way to Gethsemane. Okay, so Peter and the disciples come in. They're arguing about who's greatest in the kingdom. The Lord rebukes them for that, and he singles out Peter, and he warns him. Okay, and then in our text in John, he's warned also in the upper room. Same, I don't know if it's the exact same time uh, later, but it's definitely it's pretty much within the same moments. Okay, so he's warned once. Now we're out of the upper room, and we're uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Lord predicts that all of them will fall away. Matthew and Mark's accounts are very similar. So we'll just look at Mark and Matthew's, which is a little bit um, more comprehensive, okay? So if you want to turn over there to Matthew 26, again, this is point yeah. three, bless you, point three on your notes, uh, verses 30 and 30 to 32. 26, 30 to 32. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, so they're leaving the upper room. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have, I am, let me make sure I get my, yeah. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Okay, so Peter's there and he hears everything that everybody else does. Right, that's that's step number three. Look at step number four. Peter insists he will not fall away even when the others do. Look at the next verse. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, what I will, what never, that's a double negative. By the way, oh, okay, yeah, that's that. Never in any circumstances tonight. So you remember in, in English, a double negative becomes a positive, right? It cancels yeah. it. But, but in, in Greek, it, a double negative strengthens the negativity of that statement. I will never under any circumstances or in any conditions, right? The way I think that's the way Dad likes to turn yeah. it that. Okay? I will never, never, never fall away from you. All these other clowns over here may do it. I won't. You hear the pride? Look at step number five there, then. Jesus' second prediction of Peter's denial while on the way to Gethsemane. Okay. Actually, they're in the garden here at this point. I, um, it's, yeah. It's probably in the garden itself, or, or definitely on some sometime. They're out of the upper room, and they're either just about to enter the garden, or they are actually in the garden. I think they're actually in the garden at this point. Uh, I think my my point is wrong there, but um, verse thirty four, uh, Matthew twenty six. Jesus said to him, "Truly, I say to you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times." Oh. Peter, I've already warned you in the upper room. He, he, he told him twice that this was coming. Peter doesn't want to believe it. Okay? Look at the next verse. This is point six, step six on Peter's slide down. Peter still doesn't believe the Lord. Look at the next verse. Somebody read that for us, verse 35. 
But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Okay. Kind of sounds a little bit like uh, the time when when the Lord was telling them that he was going to go to the cross. He's going to be, you know, betrayed and, and into the hands of sinful men and go to the cross and all that. And Peter pulls him aside and says, Lord, this will never be, right? And, and God forbid that this should happen to you. And, and he says, get behind me, say it. Okay. Same thing. Here's, here's, here's Peter in his pride, thinks he knows better than the Lord. Um, be careful about that, right? Yeah. It's, 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 when we see this in the text here, it's, it's obvious to us. What isn't so obvious is when it's in your own heart. And when your pride gets in there and you get you get cocky and confident in your in your stand for Christ and you're so self-assured uh, this these things aren't going to happen to you, uh, that's when you are very vulnerable. Okay? Don't fall for this lie. Be careful about Satan being able to take and twist that point, that chink in your armor, too. So he doesn't he doesn't even believe the Lord. <clears throat> so then look at, at step seven here. Um, uh, Peter tries to prove the point by attacking with a sword during the arrest. Okay, so skip a few verses in Matthew 26 uh, on over to verse 51 through 54. Okay, everybody with me? And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. In other words, Peter, you don't, you know, if you were to kill somebody here, you, you deserve capital punishment. Okay. Um, do not, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once... Uh, send me more than 12 legions of angels. But now, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Peter is still trying to prove his point. And we're going to see, in the, in, and by the way, Matthew doesn't name him, but we know that it's Peter. In fact, the, the other gospels don't name him, but we know it's him because John tells us, Right. Uh, so when we get there, we'll see that. Um, by the by, the way, by the time John was writing that, Peter was probably already crucified, almost certainly, especially because of what he said in, in chapter twenty-one. And you can see that there, all four gospels talk about Peter swinging. Well, that that was no small group of men that came to arrest Jesus. That was probably, I believe, a minimum of two hundred, uh, mix of guards. Roman guards from Fort Antonia and and probably the uh, temple guards. So you have professional soldiers and security guards essentially from the, te the temple, uh, a, a mix of them coming together. Uh, most of them didn't know who he was, which is why, especially the Roman guards, which were just on duty for Passover, wouldn't have known who Jesus was, which is why Judas had to mark him with a kiss um, so they would know who to arrest. But Peter's point is, it's not like, you know, five guys with torches, but Peter comes swinging out there. Peter's like, I'm gonna prove this point. He's all vast soldiers. What are you gonna? What's one guy gonna do against this? He's gonna prove that point, right? Did they think Jesus was gonna fight him? Well, 
I don't know. To me, it, it just kind of feels like the testimony of like, you know, like they go arrest like a robber or something or a murderer and they go out with like what, five or six cops. And then just to me, in my heart, it just seems like they actually, you know, where they say the demons believe and they shudder. So they actually, to me, it, but the point is, is like, they don't know why, but they do believe. And so they feel like because maybe he, he is of God, they have to come at him with like so many, you know, so many, like 200. It's almost like the symbolism of like, <clears throat> like the Armageddon where they come after him and, mm -hmm. Oh, I don't know. It just reminds me of that. I mean, it's an overwhelming show, of course. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Well, Jesus even asked that question, you know, I was with you in the temple all these days, you know, why are you coming against me like I'm a, you know. But, uh, but yeah, it's, <clears throat> I think there is an element of that. Certainly, they had tried to arrest him several times. Remember, we saw it in, yeah. in chapter seven, right, where, where they sent, that was six months earlier, um, the the chief priests remember their center of power was the temple, and they had sent the guards to arrest Jesus, and, and the guards came back empty-handed and said, "This nobody ever spoke like this man, right?" So, and then and then those soldiers who were there, I don't want to, we'll we'll cover this in more detail later. But the soldiers who were there stationed at Fort Antonia, they are able to look down on the temple. Our 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 just extra pilot himself is in town. Right, so and Pilate didn't was normally in town. He was in Caesarea Philippi was his normal uh, place of, of center of gravity of his governor governorship. But he he's in town and he's there with a large contingent of Roman soldiers to keep peace because there's like you know we think upwards of a million plus people in town, Jews and and so they're there to keep peace. And, and so middle of the night and and what's what's going on with the guards? You know the ones who are watching Fort Antonio and they they combine. You know, it's not a stretch to say that there are, are several hundred men. But anyway, the point is, Peter's swinging. You know, I think the bigger question is why, what does Peter think he's going to do? Right? I think he feels confident that the Lord is, when the Lord is there, um, you know, that, that he's seen him raise the dead. Right? Um, he knows he knows he can do that. Um, but the point is that I think I think the, the real part of all this is he still is not believing the word of God. He's so convinced of his own abilities and his own conviction, even though his intention is good, right? I'm going to stand up for the Lord. I'm going to take a stand against his enemies. Even though his intention is good, his reliance is wrong, right? And so let's read the concluding paragraph here and page I, I think I think maybe uh, Peter was trying to prove to Jesus that he would stick up for him. I mean, risking his very life by cutting off the ear of this soldier. I mean, he could have been arrested and, and executed. Johnny on the spot just about. I think he was trying to prove that his devotion to Jesus was absolute, but it it wasn't obviously. But I think he was trying to prove it. Right. I was thinking maybe he was thinking about David. 
Oh, you know, like just, just his, what do you mean? Well, I mean, he thought, you know, like that he was with God and that he was invincible because he was with God. And it reminded me of like David when he was fighting for God and he was, um, you know, he snuck into the army where they were all sleeping to kill all the people, but he did it. And, rose up against Goliath and then. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can really relate to here because at that moment, I think he, I'm a lot like him. I'm a fixer. I like to fix things. If somebody looks at I want to fix it for them. When dad was in the hospital and we had had that, that big aneurysm, and the doctor took all of us in, in this room and well, in the hallway and showed us from this computer that his brain was dead. Hmm. I knew that there was nothing I could do against that. And Peter knew he was no, knew he was, there was nothing he could do against two hundred people, but at that moment he wanted to fix it. I wanted to fix it. So what did I do? I lashed out at the doctor and I said, "What do you mean? You call yourself a doctor? Can you not fix this?" You know. Later on, I saw the doctor in the hallway again, and I told him I was sorry. But I was like, I, you know, I see all the grandkids crying. I see everybody crying. Peter knew that this all the bad stuff was about to happen, and he was he had to fix it. He tried to fix it, even though he knew it was impossible. I knew it was impossible to fix that, but I didn't trust that God was sovereign. I mean, I knew he was, but at that moment, I was going to fix it so that the grandkids could say, yeah, God was good at that, you know. And and I think Peter, I think, I think Peter just, he didn't want that to happen to his friend. I love that. I didn't want that to happen to him. He's a Jesus. He didn't want that to happen to him. And he wanted to fix it. Mm -hmm. So everybody could go home happy and have a good night. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think he was just a fixer. Just like I was trying to be a fixer a lot. I mean, you can't. Well, I think that's what's beautiful about the Bible. There's so many levels. <laughs> yes. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. My thing when he was hacked into the flesh. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 Just locked me all of Yeah. Mm -hmm. he, he knew his calling. Moses is another example that comes to mind. Yes, remember Moses knew his calling, and 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 he tried to do it himself, right? And how did that end up? Forty years running for his life. Will forty? Think about that. Forty years on the backside of the desert with nobody out there with those stupid animals, day after day, convinced God is done with me. There's a long time. One day, after all of that humbling. He sees a bush on fire, right? And the lesson, the lesson of the burning bush is if you try to be on fire for the Lord, you will burn up. Oh, I'm serious. All the ways that God could have gotten his attention, why did he choose that? Um, the, the issue is being on fire with the Lord and wait for him. Strength is not in you. Strength is in him. Enabling is in him. Let's finish our paragraph. Uh, we can all relate because we too have had many moments where we felt resolute in our commitment to something. <clears throat> but then later, <clears throat> when the test of that commitment actually landed, we folded like a wet noodle. <laughs> the lesson of Peter's denial is not only that God chooses weak, unremarkable people to be in his kingdom as a display of his grace, but also that our place of greatest gifting can also be our point of greatest weakness. Mm -hmm. 
That is a profound thing to realize honestly about yourself. Okay? Very important. We have to be on our guard against this insidious characteristic of our fleshly minds, lest we too be like Peter and refuse to believe even the warnings of the Lord himself that we are on a dangerous path. Turn to 1 Corinthians there that's in your notes. Let's read that. I'm sorry we didn't get through this. Well, maybe we have time. Is it okay if we come back in two weeks and finish this? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Lord's timing, right? Okay. Lord's timing, right. Oh, I'm going to charge ahead and do it. Okay. <laughs> I learned that. Good. That's Lord's good. Time. That's right, David. The Lord's had to teach me that. Blessing. His teaching. His teaching. Yes. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 13. Somebody read that for us. Now these things happen to them as examples. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape also. So that you will be able to enjoy it. Don't miss verse 12, right? We, we Everybody knows verse 13. <clears throat> no temptation has taken you except which is common to man. But the verse right before that is, is a warning, right? A warning. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands or stands firm take heed lest he fall. Okay? Don't be like Peter and say, oh, well, that's for other, that's for other Christians, this text. No, this is for you. <laughs> this is for your heroes in the faith. Okay? Even, even, the, even the pastor or radio speaker or commerce speaker or whoever it is that you whose walk with Christ you value the most, okay? This verse is for them too. The warning is for them too. None of us are immune from this problem of pride, which still gets in, likes to worm its way in, and it's very, very subtle. The enemy is very subtle. That's where his greatest effectiveness is. It doesn't make sense for him to come and say, hey, I'm the devil. I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm here to... No, no. It's, he appears to us as an angel of what? Light, a bearer of truth. And he looks like the Holy Spirit. If you're not really careful... You know, that's why what Jesus tells them in the upper room in John 15 is so important. Abide in me. Peter, Christian, you can't do it. I know your commitment is in right now. You're you're solid and you're sound. And, you know, you we've all been there. We've all gone to, you know, camps or, or conferences like one we're getting ready to go to. And, and you go to that mountaintop experience and you walk away and, yes, I am going to stand for Christ, right? And then... And a couple days later, maybe even an hour later, you know, something happens and that commitment is tested. How many times do you fall flat? Right? Like Peter, the Lord is patient. Well, the time of testing like that, that we really find out that there is pride there. We, we won't see it just in the clear blue. That's right. That's right. There is, what's that happened to Peter? 
That's right. And I really like the fact that Jesus expresses strong, strong confidence in God's providence to turn Peter around. Amen. For he doesn't say, I pray for you, if you're converted, strengthen your brother. Uh, he says, I pray for you when you are converted, strengthen your brother. Amen. That's good. That's a great point. And that's good for us to know that too in time of trial. But what is what was Peter's gifting? That God gave him to lead the church. What was his primary? His mouth. His mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. <laughs> but his interesting that it was his mouth in the denials that got him in trouble, wasn't it? So that's why I say again, the point of greatest gifting can also be the point of our greatest weakness. Okay. Beware of that. We're going to, uh, in the service, um, by God's providence, <laughs> the little, you know, when we have, when we reach the time of, of self-reflection and service, uh, the article that the Lord has brought to us today deals with this very issue. Uh, it really spoke to me a lot. Are you a hammer or are you a mallet? Okay. Uh, so pay attention to that. And get to Heavenly Father, um, <laughs> uh, um, we, we can be so self-assured sometimes and think we have the answers and been walking with you for decades. And, and we look down our nose at other people and, and, and we can become self-assured and confident. And boy, be careful you don't fall because we are so vulnerable, so vulnerable. Sometimes at those, those times of greatest effectiveness, right on the heels of that can be, can, can be a, a great humbling, a great fall away. Um, as Dad said, whatever, whenever a person squeezed, whatever they're full of comes out. Um, Peter was squeezed, and we, he got to see, and the rest of us got to see what was really there behind the words. And uh, and so it's a good warning to us: be careful. We don't fall. We need to abide in humility. God, of Peter, as an older, wiser man, many years later would write: God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He He will lift you up in due time. Help us to remember this, to walk in, be patient with your lead as we seek to follow you in the way of the cross. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you.